You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. morning. Welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday the 20th of October. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee delivered his maiden policy address yesterday, lasting for about 2 hours and 45 minutes. The two standout big issues were attracting talent to reverse an exodus of residents from the city and measures to boost land and housing supply. Mr Lee said that governments will proactively trawl the world for talent as he announced a 30 billion Hong Kong dollar plan to attract international investors and businesses back to the city. The CE said he would cut property duties for non-permanent residents and relax visa rules. The government will also introduce a two-year top talent pass for those with a salary over two and a half million Hong Kong dollars or those who have graduated from the world's top 100 universities. On housing, Mr Lee set a target to reduce the current waiting time for public houses to four and a half years from six years currently by 2026 to 27. He says he's ramped up the construction of public housing from about 100,000 flats to 158,000. That's a more than 50% increase in the coming five years compared with the previous five-year period after launching the new light public housing scheme. The plan will utilise the modular integrated construction approach under which prefabricated units are constructed in factories. The same approach has been used in building quarantine facilities. In other measures, the city's stock exchange will revise the main board listing rules next year to facilitate fundraising and revitalise the growth enterprise market, a market with lower eligibility criteria. And Hong Kong will promote its fintech industry and offer tax concessions to family offices to compete with Singapore. His nearly three-hour speech didn't address pandemic curbs until the very end, but he gave no timetable for lifting the remaining COVID curbs and returning the city to pre-pandemic norms. On today's Money Talk, we analyse the policy address with wealth investment strategist Enzio von Fahl, Nitin Dialdis at Mandarin Capital and Lawrence Liu from Civic Exchange. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US stocks snapped a two-day winning streak as the 10-year government bond yield hit the highest level since 2008. The S&P 500 ticked down 0.7% to 3,695. The Dow slipped 100 points or 0.3% to finish the day at 30,424. The Nasdaq Composite Index lost 0.9% to close at 10,681. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index slid half a percent. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 0.2%. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee's plans to boost the local economy, reverse a brain drain and attract talent, along with measures to boost land and housing supply, underwhelmed investors. The Hang Seng Seng Index sank as the speech went on to end almost at the low of the day. The benchmark index closed 403 points or 2.4% lower at an 11-year low of 16,511. The Hang Seng Properties Index erased all its gains in the afternoon after rallying as much as 2.8% in the morning, but it closed 1.8% lower after John Lee announced only a mild easing in property market measures. 
the tech index slumped 4.2%. Hong Kong exchanges and clearing fell 2% after reporting a 30% decline in third quarter earnings. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 1.2% to 3,044 after China's Communist Party signaled no relaxation in its zero COVID policy and delayed the release of third quarter GDP data. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 2.6% higher at $92.41 a barrel. Gold dropped 1.2% to $1,627 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield traded 12 basis points higher at 4.13%. That's the highest level since July 2008. And in the UK, the Consumer Price Index rose 10.1% in September. That's matching the 40-year high British inflation reached in July. And food costs jumped 14.6% in the year to September. That's the most in 42 years. Despite that, the 10-year gilt yield slipped four basis points to 3.89%. And finally, the US dollar jumped almost 1% higher against a basket of currencies. The euro this morning at 97 and three quarters of a cent. The Japanese yen has slipped to a new 32-year low of 149.82. Sterling was heavily sold with more chaos in the UK government after the Home Secretary resigned. It's down 1% at $1.12 and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 79 cents. And the offshore Chinese yuan fell to a new record low against the dollar. It's at 7.27 this morning, suffering from heavy selling after China cancelled the publication of its third quarter GDP data on Tuesday. And Bitcoin drifted lower, but it's holding above $19,000 for now at $19,100. Quick look around Asia-Pacific stock markets as they open up. In Australia, the SX200 is down 1%. So is the Nikkei 225 in Japan. The Cosby in South Korea off 0.6%. And it looks like another slide for the Hang Seng Index. Futures markets pointing to a decline of 260 points at the open. Just gone 809. Let's welcome our guests. We have over in our Queensway studio our regular Thursday morning commentator, wealth investment strategist, Enzio von Fahl. Morning, Enzio. Morning, Peter. And joining him is Nitin Dialdis, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Nitin. Good morning, Peter. And on the phone from London is Lawrence Liu, Executive Director at Civic Exchange. Morning, Liu. Uh, morning, Lawrence, and thank you for staying up so late. Good morning, Peter. Okay, let's start with the, uh, the with the policy address. Maybe I could kick off Enzio and ask you, what, what are your overall impressions of the policy address this year? I think both sides, Hong Kong as well as Beijing, are very frustrated. Hong Kong is frustrated because our relevant issues, as you have said before, have not been addressed properly. The COVID, the no vigorous attack on social housing, for instance, you still have Lamborghini tenants in there, guys with Lamborghinis who still live there, exorbitant medical costs courtesy of the closed shop with the medical profession, our rotting English standards. So these things aren't exactly helping us. China is disappointed because she's going to be faced with an increasingly bankrupt, high-tax Hong Kong regime. Why, for instance, must we pay $30 billion to attract talent when we used to get this for free? Secondly, our plans do not dovetail with China's 14th five-year plan of next year. Um, how can we run four centers like finance, trade, and legal without English? 
and we cannot support Xi's um, domestic rejuvenation that he just mentioned of the National 20th Congress because we just don't have it in us. Finally, and this is the key point, we're not really that Taiwan beacon that we were in 1997, and that's leading to all sorts of aggressive moves on the parts of China and, of course, also of America, leading to geopolitical frictions. Okay, well, thank you for that. Nitin, what do you think? Was this a major shake-up? Oh, far from it. It was very, very disappointing, and I think markets shade that with the reaction. Um, there was nothing there that excited anyone, I don't think. Um, any measures that were announced were all kind of pre-announced before, so there was nothing new. And, I mean, I think it's going to be a struggle when you talks about trying to attract talent, how are you going to do that when you haven't actually opened up yet? How are you going to um, sort out the property market when you, I mean, with what fabricated housing? It, it just, uh, the whole thing just didn't make any sense, to be fair. And uh, I think the, as I said, the market reacted in, in the way it should have. It was pretty disappointing. Okay. Um, Lawrence, what, what do you think? Was this a relaunch of, of Hong Kong at all in any way? Yeah, I think that is a um, good step um, to relaunching Hong Kong and then let Hong Kong, let everyone in the world know that Hong Kong is ready to embark to a new journey and then to make our economy thriving again. And then also it's like um, the government is very keen to build a livable city. Because in the latest policy address, we I can find I can see that it's like that is the first time ever um, the Hong Kong government is so um, keen to enhance the Hong Kong governance system by adopting like 110 indicator against which the government performance can be judged in a more scientific approach. And then also that can build up the city resilience because the global is heading to a lot of uncertainty in the future. However, if we can measure um, the city key performance, and then that can really help us to reduce the risk in the future. But it would be great if like the government can more align with the central government the ecological civilization mindset is like to provide a baseline position for each initiative that will really help everyone to like uh, monitor the progress and then also is like to help the government to prepare the future policy address or budget okay. in the future okay well some mixed Mixed reviews there. I wonder if I can ask the three. There was a couple of things that, to me, um, really were missing. I suppose the main one was we saw a number of eye-catchingly expensive initiatives which mm. raised the question that I don't think was answered. How are they going to be paid for? Because our economy... Uh, is contracting now for the third time in four years. Um, looks like our budget deficit is going to be about $160 billion higher. That's three That's 5% of GDP and three times higher than Paul Chan forecast in the budget. And our reserves have dropped below um, $800 billion, which is a share of government spending. That's the lowest level in more than uh, two decades. And our reserves... Uh, may well drop below spending this year for the first time since 2003. So how are these initiatives going to be uh, paid for? Well, it could only be through a tax hike, I'm afraid, 
or you just keep on selling land, selling land, the expensive land, and trying to raise it that way. But I suspect it's going to be a tax hike, perhaps indirect taxes of VAT of some form. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it will be indirect taxes. Um, land prices should start coming down, in fact, with the fact that property prices are starting to come down. So I don't think they get, you know, as expensive as it yes. was, I don't think you're going to get as much as they probably could have forecast, say, two years ago. So the only way I can see that happening is uh, through indirect taxes. Okay. Lawrence, you, you like yeah. some of the measures that you've heard there um, in, the, uh, in, in the budget, but uh, do you worry about how this is all going to be paid for? So um, definitely, because um, for every action of the government, um, there are uh, externalities to pay. So that I think the entire red tax definitely is uh, potentially is a way. And then also the government can think in a more environmental way, because maybe it's a good idea is like to open to create some new opportunity through like create some new industry in Hong Kong that will also help to create some revenue for Hong Kong to pay um, the policy package in the recent policy address. Okay. Now, the CE announced plans to proactively trawl the world for talents, he said, and the government's going to set aside billions to attract businesses to the city and launch and entice talents to pursue their careers in Hong Kong. These measures included a top talent pass scheme for eligible talents. They have to have an annual salary of two and a half million Hong Kong dollars or graduate from one of the world's top 100 universities. There's going to be a suspension of the quality migrants admission scheme, a new office for attracting strategic enterprises a new talent service unit to formulate strategies for recruiting talent and then there's going to be a technology talent um, admission scheme. Um, so let me ask you, we're obviously facing mounting competition from Singapore um, and others as a regional hub for global businesses and talents. Do, do these proposals that you heard you think go some way towards addressing um, those issues? Uh, if you don't mind, I'll, t I'll take this one to start. Um, look, I think there's factors that we have to consider. First of all, to attract talent, we need business. In order to do business, I think a lot of people need China. China's not opened up, and I don't think it's going to open up until 2024. So where do we, you know, where are those yeah. businesses that are going to start attracting talent? Let's start with that. Number two, when we're facing global competition, everywhere else in the world is open, free. Don't have to do silly PCR, four PCR tests in six days. You don't have to do three days of not being able to go out, whatever. I guess if you're living here, that's not a major issue. But if you want to come and explore the place, it does become an issue and it becomes a negative. So there's another deterrent. And especially when the rest of the world is completely open. Mm. Um, and, and number three, what, what is going to entice people to come here with, I mean, if the rest of the world are offering grants and subsidies for businesses, and we're just doing a co-investment scheme, so where, it, where is your competitive angle? Um, so what are you, what are you going to do to attract that business? Um, and I, I think there's all these factors that people have to consider, and it's, it, does, it just doesn't go far enough for me. Building on Nitin, I mean, again, I, I come, keep on coming back to this. If they can't speak English, you can't have international business in Hong Kong, and that's supposed to be what we're part of, This all these wonderful hubs that they keep on talking about. We can soon call it Hub Kong. And um, I just I despair at this total... Sort of denial that we're that we're that we can't speak English anymore. To, to be fair to Mr. Lee, I mean, we have to give him some credit for this, don't we? Because <laughs> normally, what you see in policy addresses is very broad principles, 
ideals with no detail. He has put in this a lot of detail about what exactly it is um, he plans to do. So presumably, I mean, we've got to give some of these things a go, haven't we, and see see how they go. I think we do, but the point what I, but the point I'm trying to make is you've got to be clever about it. You've got to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you're just throwing good money away. Yes. So what sort so what sort of talent do we need? We need talent in pretty well, much every sector, but it's 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 as I said, it's targeted and showing how competitive you are in comparison to the rest mm-hmm. of the world. First Look, of all, let's open up. Then let's start moving on with, okay, what are we what, what are we targeting and how do we attract that? Let's give somebody some proper subsidies, not just a co-investment scheme, because that mm-hmm. still requires money from other people, etc. And then let's take it from there. Lawrence? And then I think the most important is, like, understand what kind of talent we need and then how many, a benchmark, how many um, talents we need for Hong Kong. Because for some particular sector, actually, it's definitely, um, phrase they need more um, talent. For example, the green and sustainable finance industry in Hong Kong, there is completely a huge talent gap. So that I think the government must understand how many talents we need for each industry and then figure out how can we retrain the local talent to adopt a new position and then also go outside and then to emphasize a good story for everyone in the world and then not just sit here to say i want to attract talent is to create a new um to create a blending for example there are some particular area hong kong is tightly developed like we are a bridge a very important bridge to bridge china and the world and then secondly is like we have a really livable city in um, compared with the rest of the world. And then the first one is think about how can we open up our um, COVID measure as soon as possible. That is also very important to make people think Hong Kong become normal again. Do we stand out now from the rest of the world in terms of our programs and our advantages and therefore have an edge in attracting talents compared to other places? Absolutely not. If we had that, we wouldn't have to spend this ridiculous amount of money chasing a white whale. Um, There's an old saying that if you don't like change, you will like your relevance even less. And the fact in my head is that since 1997, we've frankly sat on our bums not doing anything um, and just glorifying the past. And that's why we're stuck in this hole now. But I don't agree that the government should go and plan, become a centrally planned economy to attract, to see how many people we need per sector. Surely that the free market can decide. But the guys you're going to attract who need to be subsidized to come in aren't going to be the top of the top of the shelf. Now, Lawrence, one area where Mr. Lee says he thinks we have a good advantage is promoting the development of Hong Kong as a premier financing platform for governments and green enterprises um, in the mainland. He wants to develop Hong Kong into an international carbon market. He's going to support mm-hmm. Hong Kong Exchange in pursuing cooperation uh, with financial institutions in Guangzhou in the carbon market um, development. Tell me what you think about his his plans here to make us um, basically a, a sustainable finance centre. So I think this will be a good step. But the most important, I think the most important thing is like um, he need to think about how can we leverage Hong Kong. We have a very high credible finance market, and then can be the external reviewer to help um, to verify the mainland Chinese carbon project. Because when we talk about the 
carbon market, the most important thing is make it credible. So that is like how to leverage um, the Hong Kong talent as an external reviewer that can help the China carbon market bridge um, to the world um, investor. That will be a very important um, task for him to think about it. Unfortunately, in his policy address, he doesn't really mention about like how he can achieve it and then what is um, the plan in detail. Mm. Do you think overall, on the sort of environmental issues he talked about, um, are you a little disappointed? I mean, he left it very late into his speech to start talking about it. Um, he talked about um, increasing the number of electric buses and taxes, but isn't that rather um, sort of token? We, don't we need more than this? I think we definitely more than this is for sure. Um, for example, um, the uh, decarbonisation transport, because the most important thing is not about the popular transport, but for the maybe the private, re- the, I believe that the private vehicle is a more serious problem and more urgent thing rather than decarbonize, just decarbonize our public transport. Because in the past two decades, the number of re- private vehicle has increased by over 70%. And then the cars take up the road space and then lead them to like traffic congestion which makes the popular transport and freight vehicle move much slower and then burn more fuel. So that I think the government also needs to have a new planning mindset. Rather than to build a more new road, the government can invest more on like the popular transport system. For example, is to create a more enabling environment for the um, bus operator um, to leverage the road um, popular transport to accelerate different plan of Hong Kong, for example, the Northern Metropolis. Um, well, the Northern Metropolis, it, it got a, um, a mention. I mean, that was Carrie Lam's um, flagship policy. What, what do you make of some of those um, initiatives for green and sustainable finance, uh, NZO and Nitin? Do you think we've, we've got the world-class regulatory structures here? So presumably we've got to be uh, a, a high potential to be a regional centre for green and sustainable finance. Yeah, I mean, we've got the potential. We've uh, look. I mean, I know I've been quite negative so far, but the reality is Hong Kong's got a lot going for it. And I think the reason I'm being negative is because we have so much going for mm. it. I think we can do so much better. Um, but yeah, sure, right. on the green finance, you know, that that's something that we can develop and we can get towards. Uh, the Northern Metropolis. It's just a great fancy name, isn't it? A development of a few towns. And well, it's sort of trying to make it like the Silicon Valley, isn't it, of uh, of Hong Kong? That's that's really um, the the plan. Yeah, I mean, it is. But then you're taking the whole great. But aren't we taking the whole Greater Bay Area into into account now? So you've got to start adding Dong Wan and all these other places have got ready some established technology. So it's yeah, it's the Hong Kong part of it maybe. But um, as I said it's to me, it's a fancy name. But I do think look. There's a lot of potential. Um, we've got the Science Park in Shatin already. We've got Cyberport, which does a bit of you know fintech and a bit of other stuff. So there is a lot of potential that we can start developing that's already existing, as well as developing Northern Metropolis. Um, but um, I think, as I said, where I'm frustrated is there's so much potential and we're just not maximising it, and that's where it gets disappointing. But also not very intelligently, frankly. I mean, yeah. Shenzhen has overtaken us as a tech hub for years now, when we went there for, with Newcourt back in '86, it was a size of a, 
of a lid with a, with a duck in the middle of it and now it's the, to the tech centre of China. So how on earth are we going to compete with that when we, where we have other areas where we could So what, what should we do? Are you well, saying that we shouldn't try and compete with Shenzhen or and should look at other things? Or if we want to be a big uh, tech metropole, that's the word that's been used quite a lot, mm. isn't it? Um, we've got to compete with Shenzhen. So how do we attract businesses to Hong Kong instead of Shenzhen? Well, the sad thing about exactly what NZA said is, yeah, Shenzhen's taken us as a tech hub, but most, nearly all of those guys are educated at Hong Kong universities. So we've lost that talent to, mm. to, across, to guys across the border. So that's what we've got to look at. We've got to look at how do we retain our own talent. Everything that you read is, okay, we've got to bring overseas talent, but what about first starting retaining our own talent? Every, you know, look how many people are leaving Hong Kong. Let's address the reasons why. Let's try and retain yes. those guys. Um, and then let's build off that. Because, you know, another thing John Lee said is he's going to go out and promote Hong Kong to the world. The best promotion for your country is having your own talent stay in its, in its city or yes. that country. If they're leaving, yes. what kind of message is that sending? So let's start with that. Instead of trying to tell, send them to Greater Bay Area and out of Hong Kong, let's go stay in Hong Kong. Let's build off that and then let's take, take it from there. Lawrence? Yes, and I think um, the Hong Kong should not really position ourselves to compete with Shenzhen. More is like we can think about it more like um, how can Hong Kong synergize the whole greater Bay Area development. And then of course, we definitely need to figure out the reason behind why we keep losing um, talent from Hong Kong. And then to try to like measure the reason and then figure out how can we improve it. For example, it's like, how can we better um, synergy with the Shenzhen government and then to establish more collaboration rather than competition. And then that will really help us to, um, for Hong Kong to keep talent and then develop our own tech. And of course, we also need to think about how can we create more enabling policy and environment to facilitate um, the tech company um, stays in Hong Kong, that will be also very important. For example, like um, the blockchain technology, how Hong Kong can regulate this kind of new technology. This will be very important things that the Hong Kong government needs to think. Otherwise, we will keep losing um, talent and then company from Hong Kong. Well, the term Greater Bay Area was mentioned more than 50 times in, in John Lee's entire address. So um, you can see the importance that he places on that. You mentioned earlier, Enzio, hmm. that you think Beijing might be disappointed. Do you think this sort of dovetails enough with the mainland strategies like the, the, the latest uh, five-year plan, the, the Greater Bay Area, the Belt and Road Initiative? Absolutely not, because the the key of the 14th five-year plan of last spring, spring of 2021, was really that Hong Kong has to be a prosperous place and improve its competitive advantages. So it's improved its competitive advantages to be a little bit side by not speaking English, by having sky-high medical costs here, by still having very high rents, by still waving checkbooks about it, even though we're meant to be an international financial center. So I think we don't need any more studies done, for heaven's sakes, and experts telling us what to do. I think action has to be taken, but I'm afraid that's the problem that nobody really wants to take actions and stick their head above the parapet. Okay, well, sadly, we've run out of time, but thank you very much for your thoughts there. You heard wealth and investment strategist Enzio von Feil, Nitin Dialdis, who's the chief investment officer at Mandarin Capital, and Lawrence Liu, Executive Director at Civic Exchange.
Friday morning at 8.30, it's the 2022 Policy Address phone-in. Chief Executive John Lee will join us in the studio to answer your questions and listen to your comments on this year's Policy Address. Presented by Jim Gould and Janice Wong, this is your chance to speak directly to the Chief Executive. This live broadcast will also be available on RTHK TV 31 and 32, our Facebook pages and Radio 3's YouTube channel. Get your call in early on 233-88266 to speak with the Chief Executive. 233-88266 for the 2022 Policy Address phone-in. 8.30 to 9.30 Friday morning on Radio 3. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asia-Pacific markets are deep in the red this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia off 0.8%. Japan's Nikkei 225 is down 0.9%. The Cosby also off in South Korea three quarters of a percent. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open 240 points lower. The weather forecast, sunny periods, maximum temperature around 27 degrees, mainly fine in the latter part of this week. There was a strong monsoon signal in force. Uh, it's 23 degrees right now, 59% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. Medical sector lawmaker David Lamb has welcomed the chief executive's announcement that the government may require medical professionals to work in public health care for a specified period of time in future while bringing in non-local dentists and nurses. In his policy address, John Lee also promised to revamp the health care system to enhance efficiency and shift the focus from treatment to prevention. Here's David Lamb. The steering towards primary health care is quite welcoming. With respect to dentists and nurses, we do have a lot of problem here. We understand that we have lost quite a good number of nurses in the past few years. Many have emigrated and some of them have actually left the jobs and went home to take care of children. Now, talk about doctors. We roughly have half of our doctors in the public sector, uh, sector and half of them are in the private practice. And if we can develop primary health care and transfer the stable patients to the primary health care sector, then we will make full use of our human resources in the community. That helps our manpower issue. The Legislative Council has passed a bill to double the plastic bag levy to $1 from December the 31st. Authorities will also scrap the existing levy exemption for frozen food and food items fully wrapped in non-airtight packaging. The exemption for unpackaged takeaway foods will, will remain, but will be limited to one plastic bag for each order. The authority of the British Prime Minister Liz Truss has been further undermined by the resignation of her Interior Minister, Suella Braverman. In her resignation letter, Ms Braverman accused the Prime Minister of pretending there had been no mistakes and hoping that everything would magically come right. Later, two government ministers in charge of party discipline were rumoured to have resigned, but it has since been announced that they are to remain in post. Here's the BBC's Sean Lay. After a relatively successful Prime Minister's questions, she lost her Home Secretary. There was trauma over a vote, self-inflicted wounds, if you like, from the government. Was it a vote of confidence? Was it not a vote of confidence? The Deputy Chief Whip and Chief Whip for several hours vanishing, apparently having resigned. Only in the last few minutes we find that they are still in post. The Russian-backed administration running the Ukrainian city of Kherson is fleeing the city along with its civilian population. Orders to evacuate have been issued as Ukrainian troops continue to advance through the region. The region's deputy governor, Kirill Stremusov, urged civilians to leave. 
Now, on the morning of the 19th of October, the situation on the front lines and approaches to the Kherson region is stable. The enemy is concentrating its forces and at any moment could begin to strike the civilian population of Kherson and the surrounding region. No one is going to retreat, but we also want to save your lives. Please move as quickly as possible to the left bank of the river. There'll be more news on the hour from RTHK.